another episode of Easter Egg Hunt, a Taylor Swift podcast. I'm your host, Kiara McKinney, and it's a very exciting day. It is August 1st, which, you know, happy folklore season. It's officially upon us. But also coming up very soon is August 9th. And a lot of Swifties are theorizing that this could possibly be the release date of 1989, obviously because 89. And then also it's going to be, I think, the 19th show on the Eras tour. So I think that, you know, this prediction definitely carries some water. I don't know if it's actually going to come to fruition, but if so, I'm into it. Apparently, a lot of people are also speculating um, because of SoFi Stadium's social media posts, which kind of have a few 1989 related Easter eggs. So go check that out if you haven't and comment on this video if you're watching on YouTube or DM me on Instagram and tell me your thoughts. Do you think that we're going to get 1989 Taylor's version and do you think it's going to be a surprise drop or is she just going to announce 1989 that night that's also a possibility I have always predicted that since this tour began that we'd end up getting all of her records while she's on the tour so that wouldn't surprise me in the slightest but anyway that's not what this episode is about today I'm going to be deep diving on all of Taylor's track fives which if you're a true Swifty you know that all of the track fives on each of Taylor's albums are the ones that she considers to be most emotionally vulnerable. And some people um, take that to mean sad, uh, but it's not always necessarily the saddest song on the album. It's usually one I think that really like makes her feel exposed, raw, vulnerable, all those things. Anyway, hope you enjoy the episode. Here we go. On the debut album, Taylor Swift, the first track five is Cold As You. I will go ahead and call out that in the beginning, she wasn't intentionally making track five her like saddest song anything like that but she has said in interviews that she was kind of like instinctively doing it that way when she was drawing out um the order of her albums and it kind of just always happened that way and with the first few and then once a swifty started to catch on to it she like really leaned into it so um it's interesting that that's something that she started doing um without even trying to leave easter eggs um but yeah so the first one is cold as you and she's talked about how proud she is of that hook that says I've never been anywhere as cold as you she said quote I love a line in a song where afterward you're just like burn (laughs) Um, she wrote this song with Liz Rose one of her old writing partners from her first few albums and she considers it to be or did at the time at least um, considered it to be one of the best songs that they wrote together and she says quote it's about that moment where you realize someone isn't at all who you thought they were and that you've been trying to make excuses for someone who doesn't deserve them and that some people are just never going to love you we were halfway through writing this when I started singing and now that I'm sitting here thinking it through I've never been anywhere cold she performed cold as you as the first surprise song in Atlanta on April 28th of air next up we have white horse from fearless and an interesting thing to note about this song is that it was released as the second single after love story off of the fearless album and it's actually a follow-up to love story she's confirmed that the person who she wrote love story about is the same person that white horse is about and she says um, to Country Weekly magazine that she wrote the song within weeks of writing Love Story and said that the guy from Love Story, quote, reminded her a lot of fairy tales and of Prince Charming. And after she wrote the first verse, she called her co-writer Liz to help her finish the song. And apparently they finished it within 45 minutes. Um, she says about it, to me, White Horse is about what, in my opinion, is the most heartbreaking part of a breakup. That moment when you realize that all the dreams you had, all those visions you had of being with this person all 
that disappears. Everything after that moment is moving on. But that initial moment of, wow, it's over, is what I wrote White Horse about. Um, White Horse received five awards from five different nominations, including Best Country Song and Best Country Female Vocal Performance. And I'm pretty sure, and I might eat my words later in this, but I'm pretty sure that of all of the track fives, White Horse is the most critically acclaimed. Next, we have probably one of her most infamous track fives, Dear John, Off Speak Now. And something interesting about this song is that the hidden message within the album sleeve spells out loved you from the very first day. And in an interview with Rolling Stone in June 2012, John Mayer said, quote, I'm pretty good at taking accountability now and I never did anything to deserve that. It was a really lousy thing for her to do. Um, He since kind of walked this, kind of walked this back. Um, He said something to the effect of, I think it was when she re-released Red or when Midnight's came out, one of the two. He said something about how he thought it was cool to like listen to songs that he thought were about him and all this bullshit that was basically like um, saving face from this felt like. Um, So if you don't know, a Dear John letter is a letter written to a man by his wife or romantic partner to inform him that their relationship is over, typically because his partner has found another lover. And it's usually like a member of the military stationed overseas. I think it's like a really big thing during like Vietnam and World War II where uh, soldiers just getting like dumped via letters and they coined the term Dear John letters. And in an interview with USA Today in 2010, she said that the subject behind Dear John was an ex-boyfriend of hers who is also the subject behind the story of us. And obviously the story of us is inspired by their encounter at an award show. Um, But Dear John is something like, quote unquote, the last email you'd send to somebody you used to be in a ship with. And this was Neapolis' surprise song. Dear John, I think, is one of her, like, I mean, it's obviously her best clapback. Um, she even says in the prologue for Speak Now Taylor's version that she considers it to be the most scathing song she's ever read. I think, or written, I think what's actually so um, smart and clever about this song is that she, like, kind of, like, samples John Mayer's style of Zick in it with, like, blues-inspired melody and, like, the, I don't know if that's a steel guitar <laughs> or what it is that makes that noise <laughs> but um it definitely is like kind of inspired by John Mayer's tin album next of course is all too well and this is perhaps like the most infamous of her track fives I'd say that it um surpasses speak now or dear John but only by a bit um in an interview with USA Today Taylor said there's a kind of bad that gets so overpowering that you can't even write about it and that it was actually really difficult to write emotionally and took her a long time to filter through every everything she wanted to put in a song without it ending up a 10 minute song. Um, so she called in Liz Rose, um, who was mentioned previously to help her work it down to a more digestible link. And prior to this song, Lee's Dear John was her longest song. This half that. Well, the 10 minute version. Um, <laughs> the standard version of this song is still the longest track on the album Red, even without um, 10 minute version. And then this song, along with State of Grace, are the only songs to have an alternative version on the album. And it's also interesting enough, the first song that Taylor wrote for Red. 1989's track five is a little interesting. It definitely deviates from the previous pattern in that it's like more upbeat, more of like a synth pop genre. Um, it seems a little like incongruent to the other songs on the list, but it's actually emotionally vulnerable despite the fact that it's not a ballad. In a video interview with GQ, the host starts the interview off by asking Taylor 
Taylor if she's ever dreamed a song or a lyric. And she admits that the stay, the high-pitched stay in All You Had to Do Is Stay came from a dream. She said, I had a dream that my ex showed up at my door, knocked on my door, and I opened it, and I was about ready to launch into the perfect thing to say. But instead, all that would come out of my mouth was that high-pitched chorus of people singing, stay. And then you go to say something, and it's just like, stay, stay, stay. And I woke up, and I was like, oh, that was mortifying. But that's kind of a vocal part. So that's an interesting little tidbit. Um, People theorize that this song is about Harry Styles, which is an interesting thing to think about, um, because she does, like, call him an ex. And I guess I've always, like, thought of Harry Styles and Taylor as, like, never quite being, like, boyfriend and girlfriend. I thought it was more of, like, a fling. So it's interesting that she, like, refers to him as an ex and also that he was, like, in her dreams, (laughs) I guess. I've always kind of chalked up that relationship to just being, like, just funny. Then, of course, we have Delicate Off Reputation, which is categorized as a sleeper hit because even though it, like, it debuted on the charts at, like, a decent place, but slowly but surely, like, crept its way up and, like, made its way into our zeitgeist. The video is what really captivated people, though. Um, That's the video where Taylor's, like, unhinged dancing around the city um, because she, like, realizes she's invisible, which is, like, this huge gift to her. Um, And, I mean, looking at it in today's context where, like, we know all that we know about Joe Alwyn and her relationship with him and that this song is obviously about the beginning of that relationship, um, the invisibility and, like, the escape from stardom we now know had, like, a lot to do with actually, like, it seems Joe's wants and needs as opposed to hers. Um, But this was her first video after her disappearance and kind of, like, her reemergence into society after ghosting us (laughs) Um, for a while after, um, you know, Kanye Gate part two. So, um, yeah. But this actually, that video actually won an iHeartRadio Music Award for Best Yo. Um, It was, like, pretty well received, um, but it did cause some people to get, like, kind of pissy about the fact that she seemed to be like quote unquote like complaining about her fame because in the beginning there are like all these paparazzi and whatever. Um, I also find it interesting that Delicate even made it on this list. Um, I do like see the emotional vulnerability piece of it for sure um, that she like is kind of showing us a that um, you know her life's not a fairy tale I guess. Um, she had previously had all that kind of like uh, imagery and just kind of like more of like a hopeful like positive American pie, uh, Swedish sugar, like presentation and outlook on life. And it seems like this is really like where she um, takes a hard left. Obviously it's on reputation. Um, But visually and like with this particular single, I guess she um, considers it to be emotionally vulnerable because it's such a change, but also because she's kind of for the first time saying essentially like I'd give all of this up uh, for like privacy, this like secret lover man that I have. But at the end of the day, honestly I think it's kind of like sad how um it seems like Joe and Taylor's relationship like made Taylor really paranoid and we'll get to that with this next song um the archer on lover she actually said that the steady production and laugh lack of a beat drop is supposed to represent the feeling of anxiety she was feeling when she wrote this song and that actually like makes a lot of sense and kind of speaks to why when I first heard the song I didn't like it because I was like anticipating a drop that never happened the whole time um this is the first of her track fives where Jack Antonoff makes an appearance co-writer and producer um something I do really like about this song is the like uh horoscope zodiac astrology reference because I am also a Sagittarius and 
I like her little nod to our mascot, the centaur, the archer here. Um, in it, she says, or no, about it, she says, there's a lot that's covered emotionally and I really wanted to give you track five before the album came out. So track five is kind of a tradition that really started with you guys because I didn't realize I was doing this, but I instinctually was putting a very vulnerable, honest, emotional song as track five. So because you noticed this, I started to put the songs that were honest, emotional, vulnerable, and personal as track five. And really the song's like all about not being able to trust people, et cetera, et cetera. Um, But I think coming off the heels of Delicate, like this to me represents uh, like a state of anxiety that she always had about like Zing Joe. And that's something that I don't see as a good thing. Obviously, I think there were probably a lot of great things about that relationship and I will never know, (laughs) you know, the ins and outs of it. But just based on like her lyrics and things that she said in interviews and because I'm a married person in a healthy relationship, I think that um, her like constant state of paranoia, anxiety, like always looking over her shoulder, all those things like really um, came from Joe's presence in her life because we like haven't seen that on this tour, this like Eras tour. She seems to be like so confident and free and uh, like, I don't know, free is the right word. Then My Tears Ricochet on Folklore is perhaps her truly like saddest, darkest track five. It is actually performed as the fifth song in the folklore section of the Eras tour. So that's an interesting thing that um, it's a track five twice. It's essentially William Bowery, who we know to Joe Alman now is credited on this song as a writer. Taylor said that she wrote early My Tears Ricochet lyrics after watching The Marriage Story. She said that she found herself being very triggered by new stories, movies, or narratives revolving around divorce while writing folklore. And obviously this song is in reference to um, Scott Borgeron and her splitting from Big Machine Records and him selling her masters to Scooter Braun. She said, quote, there's no reason it should cause me so much pain, but all of a sudden it feels like something I had been through. I think that happens anytime you've been in a 15 year relationship and it ends in a messy, upsetting way. So I wrote My Tears Ricochet and I was using a lot of imagery that I had conjured up while pairing a relationship ending to when people end an actual marriage. All of a sudden, this person that you trusted more than anyone else in the world is the person that can hurt you. I think I wrote some of the first lyrics of that song after watching Marriage Story and hearing about when marriages go wrong and end in such a catastrophic way. I think that makes a lot of sense because when I listen to that song, I definitely conjure like more romantic images, um, even though that's not even really like uh, referenced necessarily. Like she never in the lyrics references any kind of like romantic history or relationship or kissing or touching or anything like that. And yet something about just like the pain um, associated with it just kind of automatic on just these like catastrophic breakups. Then kind of along like a similar thread, we have Tolerate It on Evermore. Taylor chose this song as track five because of the lyrics, how it's visual and conveys a specific type of hurt. She said, quote, when you watch a film or read a book and there's a character you identify with, you most of the time identify with them because they're targeting something in you that feels like been there. That's why we, we relate to characters. And so when I was reading Rebecca by Daphne Dumarer, Marer, um, it was, I was thinking, wow, her husband just tolerates her. She's doing all these things and she's trying so hard to impress him, but he's just tolerating her the whole time. There was a part of me that was, you know, relating to that because at some point in my life, I felt that way. So I ended up writing song Tolerate. And that really like made me think, I really wonder who she's referring to, who has made her feel just like tolerated because, and not to throw shade, but like a lot of her relationships haven't been that long. And that's really kind of like a state that relationships get to when you've been together a long time and the spark isn't there anymore. And you're just kind of 
roommates or you're just kind of like whatever. And really the only relationship she's been in where that is even a possibility is Joe. So I find that really fascinating. And I really like hope that eventually she talks more about that song because it's always stuck out to me um, for the same reason as My Tears Ricochet, but we at least have like real context for that. One. And last but certainly not least, we have You're On Your Own Kid from Midnight, which is actually a song that Stevie Nicks thanked her for writing because it provided comfort amid the loss of her Fleetwood Mac bandmate, bandmate Christine McVie. Uh, Taylor performed You're On Your Own Kid for the first time as the second surprise song in Tampa on April 14th. The song features some of her most brutal lyrics about her own journey navigating fame, love, and the people she's lost. This song is definitely one that I think has like become a fan favorite within the Swifty universe. It's something that I see like it's a it's a song that I see talked a lot like on different like forms of social media, whether it's Reddit or um, Instagram, whatever. Everybody's always talking about this song. Um, this song is almost like too sad for me sometimes. <laughs> there are a few of her songs where I'm like, oh, that's like a little bit too like um, existentially sad. <laughs> I need more like acute sadness, if that makes sense. This one's too like broadly depressing for me, but I recognize that it's a great song, but it's not one that I ever like turn on to listen to because it just is really a devastating, gutting song. If you haven't followed me on Instagram, please do that at the Spin Cycle Media. I really want to hear all your opinions on each track five, one favorite. Um, It's really hard for me to choose, but I think that my top five, because there's 10 of them, so I'm going to not rank them but I am going to got my favorite five in no particular order they would be my tears ricochet all too well obviously dear John obviously um I'm gonna say tolerate it and then the last one I gotta give it to white horse I think white horse was the first Taylor Swift ballad that I ever like listened uh, listened to and like thought about a boy or like listened to on purpose because I was sad about a boy that was like the first Taylor Swift song for me that like kind of like launched a pattern that I've been stuck in for the rest of my life. Um, So I think White Horse definitely holds a special place in my heart. Well, that's all for today. And I hope that the next time I talk to y'all on the first Wednesday of September, that we will at least know when 1989 Taylor's version be in our ear holes. Hopefully by then it'll already be on streaming platforms and we can talk about it. That's my hope. But who knows what mother will give us all week. All right, y'all know the drill. Like, comment, subscribe, follow us on Instagram, and subscribe to the Substack. Also, subscribe to the YouTube. I'm everywhere. I'm worldwide. Love you. Bye.